0: Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the 2nd Print Comics Podcast, starring Mark Clare and Remzo Martini. What up, what up? It's your boy, Remzo. I know, you're probably disappointed. I know no one ever listens to this show for me, but sucks to be you, because it's all about me tonight. Welcome to the 2nd Print Comics Podcast. I am Remzo Martinez. Mark is out and about doing some super secret SPC squirrel stuff. What will it be? When will it be? How will it be delivered to you? I don't know even. I just know that it's going to be awesome. So it's just you and me tonight. So sit back, relax, put the kids in a cage, drink and drive, jump out of an airplane without a parachute, and let's get ready to rumble. I can't legally say that, so I'm legally... Going to maneuver around it because it was just a giant run-on sentence, and... Yeah, that was enough to not get sued. You know Paris Hilton? Copyrighted. um, No, she trademarked That's Hot. Yeah. Uh, Let's get ready rumble guy. I think actually I don't think I would get sued by that. Let's get ready. Let's get ready rumble guy. I know I don't remember his name. He will only sue you because he trademarked that if you do that any type of sports event. So if I said that at like another boxing match, he would sue me or something like that. So uh, long story short, you got some legal knowledge on top of today's episode. Uh, before we get any further, please go ahead and consider supporting the Second Mary Comics podcast because you love us and you love me and I love you and we're one big happy family. Um, for as little as $5 a month, you get exclusive bonus shows, early releases, commercial free releases of this program. You also go ahead and get um, extra shows like Remzo Rants, What Mark Missed everything in between. It's awesome. And if you want to go ahead and keep everything going, well, we've got additional levels. We've got our $15 level where you can go ahead and do hour-long Zoom calls with Mark and I and other awesome fans. We get into some pretty degenerate shit over there, so that's a lot of fun. Don't you want to go ahead and jump onto that? Go ahead and get into the SPC Illuminati, as some would call it. And then we've got our $25 level, which is the epic crossover level where you get everything else I went ahead and listed off. But you also go ahead and get a a, a hand-selected, hardcover, graphic novel, hand-selected. Did I already say hand-selected? Well, hand-selected. Hand-selected. My little grubby DNA from my fingerprints is on there. And uh, it's a mystery graphic novel that we will go ahead and mail to you every three months right to your door to build up your awesome freaking library so you can impress your friends when you come in and uh for first time uh patrons who upgrade to that level if you're a current patron at a lower level or you're signing up that level you also get an autographed poster which is awesome but wait there's more there's our 50 dollar level this is the this is like the king daddy freaking infinity gauntlet level of stuff. This is where (coughs) at $50, the Kirby club level allows you to actually produce an episode of the show. So you'll be in a queue with other Kirby club members and you tell Mark and I what you want to talk about anything under the sun related to comic books, we can't go ahead and insult your friends. You can't tell us exactly what to say on that, but you can actually produce an episode of this show for uh, you and the other fans to enjoy. So please, all this money just goes right back into the show recently. Um, we did a giant ad buy with uh, iFanboy, and if you're one of those many awesome and info- iFanboy listeners, um, we're super excited to have you here. I mean, this show has really been... Just a, uh, you know, the, the love child of Mark and I and comic book nerds across the internet. And uh, we've just established a great community and we're happy to have you here each and every episode. Even when Mark is off doing super secret squirrel stuff. Um, so let's go ahead and get on with it. That was all the plugs and please go ahead and remember the link is patreon.com slash secondprintpod. That's patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Uh, today's topic we're going to go ahead and get into is whether source material from comics matters in movies. It's been a long debate. It's been something that uh, fans have been heated about since the dawn of time. I I can certainly tell you that there there was a point in my life where I absolutely hated any comic book film, regardless of the actual quality, if it was not pinned to source material. For the most part, I would call people who really, really, really care about that, I would call them panel purists, which means you want something that is basically the comics, you know, story, all the other context and undertones, art style, everything, regardless as to whether it's animation or live action. You just want to see the story ripped from the comics into the screen. Then you've got what I call the popcorn movie enthusiast where you don't necessarily care if they stick too much to the source material. You just want to go ahead and see a good movie. I think I've definitely drifted more towards that camp. I'm, I'm, I'm probably more in the middle and and it's because, On on this program, we've talked about movies a lot. You know that we do our potpourri episodes where we go ahead and talk about uh, the news and what's going on in comics and entertainment and pop culture. And we have done some film reviews and stuff. Like early last year, we went ahead and did Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League, which is one of the greatest moments of my life. And um, a few other films like you know that, that were smaller stuff made for online, like Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe. Then we've talked about some of the other things. Um, we, we talk more about that on Patreon if you want our spoiler free reviews or some of our spoilery reviews, depending on um, you know how how feisty we're feeling. but um let, let's let, let, let's really think about it. Why does source material matter in the comic book? Well, I'm sorry, in, in a movie based on a comic book. Well, what you've got, is you've got a story which is obviously good enough for these studios to dump millions of dollars into, dare I say billions sometimes, if you're looking at uh, you know a giant event like End- Avengers Endgame or something. Um, the story and the characters are rich enough that they're going to go ahead and apply it to the big screen. But here's the honest truth, people. Not everything translates well. And that could be said for movie adaptions in the comics. I went ahead and collected, when I was about um, 10 years old, there was a f- film adaption of Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. And what was actually crazy about it, I was living in Australia at the time, so I got to see it three months after everyone back home in the States did. Now, the Internet wasn't really what it was. I was also a little kid, so there wasn't any social media. No one else back home could spoil it, spoiler, uh, you know, spoil, spoilery. They couldn't fuck it up for me, okay? They couldn't fuck it up for me. Um, If I wanted to talk to a friend back home in America, what I had to do was I had to beg my parents to let me get a long-distance card and make a long-distance phone call, and that cost a lot of money or email, and I was too young to have an email account. So there was no way anyone could screw it. But uh, comics still made it into Australia based on the American and Canadian printing uh, schedule. So, so many of you know, most comic books today are written, they're like all over the world, are written in the United States, but they're actually printed in Canada That's why when you go ahead and look at the price, I don't know if they necessarily do this now or if it's uniform across the board, but you would see the price of a comic book in the United States and Canada. Usually in Canada, it was a dollar or more. Um, But we we would get comics back home based off when the, the Canadians were printing it. So what would happen is I would get a comic book that was adapted based on the movie coming out. And I would already know about it before it hit theaters. And none of my friends in Australia read comic books. So it was just me. And I'm spoilering. I'm spoilering. Fuck. Spoilering. I'm screwing it. Okay, so I would just completely leak the whole plot to my friends. And we would go ahead and conspire about everything else. Um, two big examples, as I mentioned. So one was Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. I was reading the movie in a comic book form months before it came out. And let me tell you, to go from film to comic book in that case uh, was not great. The artwork was actually pretty good. I do really remember being impressed by the artwork. By by all comic standards, it was good artwork. I don't know if it's available in trade back, but if somebody has it, um, I want to buy it from you. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, like it was it was a limited series, and, and I mean they do this for all types of movies, and they do novelizations for films and stuff like that. So this was nothing new. If you think this is new, it's not new, but. What would happen is uh, I got it, and I basically knew what was happening in Revenge of the Sith. So I made my brother cry because I spoiled it and everything. Oh, see, I said it right. I made my dad upset because I told him everything. But here's the kicker. When I actually went to go see the movie, it was like a whole new experience. Because you can't take a film and condense it into an adaptation, really, of any kind. Even a novelization. It's just not the same. So I went home. And I basically reread the comics to see what was left out, what was put in, and like the comic was spark notes. That that was really it. It was the cliff notes of the movie. And um, you know, while I understood the premise, you, you know this by being comic book guys. The whole feeling, the the excitement, the dread, that everything that comes with a great motion picture, it wasn't in the comics. Same went for the Incredibles. They did uh they actually did two adaptions. There was a comic book publisher in Australia that did their own unlicensed Incredibles adaptation, which was a giant graphic novel you couldn't get anywhere else. But then there was one that was actually licensed by uh uh Pixar, Disney, whatever, and it was a three-part limited series based on the Incredibles, and it was good. Like it was it was actually I would say it was better than the Star Wars one. But still, it what didn't feel like the movie. Um, and then, then what else is there? Uh, I mean, you've got you've got other examples, but it just it just wasn't the same. So, what what brings it to that point? The the actors and how they act, the amazing special effects, the interactions, the score, the music behind the film, all of that coming together. You can't condense it down into a comic book regardless as to how much you love it it's just not the same now let's look at the other way so so when you go so when you go from a movie to a comic book you're downgrading it what happens when you take a comic book and you do it to a movie well obviously we we can really name very few films where they have been direct panel for panel interpretations Um, I'd probably say the best one I've ever seen was in animation. It was Batman Year One. If you want to see a a movie that is a direct panel-for-panel version of the comic, I don't think it ever gets better than Batman Year One, and we did a Batman Year One review um, a while back, so go ahead and check that out in your feed. But... um, you know, you can only really do that with animation. And that movie would never be in, in a theater. It was direct-to-DVD. And, you know, DC, they, they run the show when it comes to these uh, direct-to-consumer animated featurettes. They're freaking awesome. I mean, they, they kill Marvel in spades. But, you know, let's look at the X-Men films, for example. The X-Men films played very loose with, um, <laughs> with their own continuity, but also source material. Uh, biggest thing that pissed off a lot of people, and you might think this is silly now, especially because we all love him, and maybe he'll come back one day if we all click our heels and wish real hard. I wish he could come back. I wish he could come back. I wish he could come back. Wolverine's height. You, You might be a new comic book collector, so you might not necessarily think this matters at all, but believe it or not, there was a big movement to kick out Hugh Jackman In the first X-Men film. Why? Because in the comics, Wolverine is like a midget. He's like 5'5". And Hugh Jackman's like 6'2". He's a tall mofo. So people actually got upset that he was not as short as, uh, as the comic book Wolverine yeah sounds stupid now that I say it because he's we we can't think of anyone else in that role. he's like robert downey jr's iron man you can't you can't picture it, and if you can, it just doesn't feel right um, the The other thing that they went ahead and did was you know people got upset because especially the uh the nineties x men show so beloved that's what introduced a lot of people to the x men comics and superheroes at large um, many people's image of the X-Men was in their colorful spandex, Wolverine with the yellow and everyone looking super comic booky. y um, That just didn't occur with the film because they wanted it to look more like The Matrix. It was actually, I think the director, Brian Singer, actually said they were, they were more influenced by The Matrix than the comics. So what they did was they put all the X-Men in leather and they looked awesome. It was very 90s. They looked like a covert action spy team. It was awesome. And uh, people still complained about that. And what's funny is in the new X-Men comics in uh 2000 2001 they went ahead and what did they do they basically gave them the Brian Singer inspired leather uniforms and those definitely influenced the Ultimate X-Men which came out around the time of the uh of, of the first Brian Singer X-Men movie. And, and let me tell you guys, when that movie came out, what did we really have running up to it? We had Blade. Now, Blade, which I think Blade 1 and 2 were already out. Um, Blade was Marvel's best performing property ever in in film because what they had prior to that they had a Captain America movie that sucked they, has, they had a Spider-Man CBS special that sucked they had a Fantastic Four movie made in 1991 that they never even put out you can watch it on YouTube by the way do unreleased 1991 Fantastic Four film you'll thank me later it's the best Fantastic Four film ever made despite being so 90s <laughs> 90s atrocious but um, I mean, you, you look at DC and they had Batman uh, in 1989, directed by Tim Burton. They had the Richard Donner Superman films, despite the fact that the last couple were really shit. Um, I mean, they even had their Flash TV series with um John Wesley Ship, and I mean that was doing pretty well. So like Marvel really had to figure out how are we going to take our properties and actually make them good? Because they didn't even know the film rights for most of them. They were giving them away, trying to, you know, trying to get them made to draw more sales to the comics, despite the fact that they were losing, they, they weren't getting a lot of money back. I mean, people forget this, but Marvel declared bankruptcy. Marvel Comics used to be a publicly traded company. And because of everything going on with the films, and a lot of editorial problems and, you know, lack of comic sales and stuff during the nineties comic boom, it just didn't happen. So, um, you know, with Blade, they were like, okay, we got to take Blade and we got we to gotta make him cool. Because let me tell you what Blade was in the comics. Blade was, I, I think the term is black exploitation. He was kind of like Black Dracula or Dolomite or something like that. Uh, Blade, you know, Blade was made in the 70s. And he had a wooden sword and wooden spikes, and he wore like a red jacket and green pants. He looks cool if you see him in the original style, but that's not that doesn't translate really to anything in our in our modern time. So Marvel looks at him and they're like, "Listen, um, we got to go ahead and have a badass action hero in leather. We got to upgrade this Blade guy." So what they do is they get. Um, you know, Wesley Snipes, one of the biggest actors of the time, and they go ahead and basically update everything. So, Blade is in the 90s, he's in dark and scary New York, you know, he's not fighting people in like Transylvania and stuff like that, he's fighting, um, you know, vampires and raves and things. And they give him guns and they give him a sidekick Yoda-like old guy, forget his name. And they basically, they they took the the basic premise of Blade, but they had to redo freaking everything. And then for Blade 2 and then for Blade Trinity, they, they just went off and none of that shit was ever based on comics. I think they had to write stuff to basically try and fill it in so that way the films could have some source material. But the films are just like, you know, Blade is better in films than he is in comics. And now basically the Blade that you're reading in comic books today, the type of Blade that Mahershala Ali will be playing in the Blade film... It's it's Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes basically recreated Blade in much of the same way that Robert Downey Jr. created Iron Man. Now, let's go to Iron Man. We've discussed this many times in the past. Um, The first Iron Man movie, you know, it it had to it it had to change. And people, you know, people were upset that Robert Downey Jr. was cast at the time because, you know, he 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 was in prison for a while for drug use. And then, um, you know, he did the Shaggy Dog, which nobody remembers. He did it with Tim Allen. He was the bad guy there, and no one could see him as Iron Man. And this was also Marvel Studios' first film. People didn't know how big it was going to be. The first Iron Man film had to update a lot of stuff, not just storylines and stuff like that. They had to update, really, who Iron Man Tony Stark was. Now, also understand, what are they going to go back to? Tales of Suspense? The first appearance of Iron Man, where he's basically, um, you know, um, Hugh Grant, you know, traveling around Vietnam, is, is that what's gonna happen? No. So basically, what, what ends up happening is they're like, okay, Marvel in around 2004, 2005 gave Warren Ellis a brand new Iron Man series. And what they need him to do is they were like, you gotta update his origin. So understand, we retcon comics continually to keep up with the time. So I don't necessarily understand why people are so upset when movies have to make the same changes to basically meet a modern audience, especially when most of the audience you know, doesn't read comic books. So what they do is they put Iron Man in Afghanistan. We did an Iron Man Extremist episode a while back, so they do that. Um, what they also do is they go ahead and basically take that Iron Man Extremist storyline and they just take really the the uh, flashback segment where he's in Afghanistan getting getting his uh, suit of armor and his arc reactor and everything set up and they basically use that in the Iron Man movie. And then what they do is they go ahead and create a more custom story that was original to the film with Obadiah Stane. Now, Obadiah Stane was the Ironmonger, but he comes up as more of a friend. It just doesn't it, – it, it's, just, it's just different. So what you basically get is a storyline that's juxtaposed of a bunch of other storylines, and it made you know probably the number one Marvel movie by at least sentimental scores <laughs> – um, in, in the MCU. Now, the, the big thing that was a big change was that Robert Downey Jr. was basically playing Robert Downey Jr. Because I'm telling you folks, Iron Man was never popular in the comics. He really wasn't, uh, growing up, at that is, for me. Uh, Iron Man was, you know, Tony Stark was a dick. Tony Stark was not charming. Tony Stark was not funny. Tony Stark was not a always a good person. Tony Stark... Um, was for the most part, he was just a really like, he was a dude you did not want to be around. He's not Robert Downey Jr. The, the Iron Man you see in the comic in the, in the films changed how he was done in the comics going further. You pick up Iron Man or you pick up any story that has Iron Man now. And now Tony Stark is literally Robert Downey Jr., because what they realized was that he was so much more popular than the comic book version. In order to make the comic book version better for fans, and for new fans, they had to change. So around this time, between the X-Men and then, you know, you had the three Sam Raimi Spider-Man films and everything else, what ended up happening was now you have the comic books Impacting, I'm sorry. Now I had the movies impacting the way that the comic books were going. So what this basically meant was that now it's now, now source material doesn't necessarily matter as much. Now don't get me wrong. Um, you look at a lot of the Marvel films, and you will see elements of multiple stories and stuff thrown into a single film in order to make a single film. I think the one good thing about the MCU is the fact that because Marvel was clever of their marketing and everything, and they basically told comic book fans, listen, we're not recreating the stories or anything that is in its own universe. Everything is kind of adjacent to each other. You know, they kind of softened the blow when they wanted to make changes. Iron Man 3, you know, the big change, the fact that the Mandarin, uh, until, you know, almost a decade later with the, Shang- with the film Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, I mean, that Ben Kingsley uh, reveal, you know, really pissed off a lot of people. Um, they went ahead and took uh, Guy Pierce's um, Aldrich Killian, who was an off you know off the side character in that Warren Ellis Iron Man run that we discussed a while ago, and they made him into a completely different character. He was nothing near the Aldrich Killian you saw in the book. Um, and they went ahead and basically just took a couple of elements. I mean, even the Iron Patriot, that confused a lot of people because at the time, Iron Patriot in the comic books was Norman Osborn. So we see Iron Patriot in the movie. People were wondering, like, is this a Norman Osborn reveal back then in, like, 2013? Um, And then they just kind of did that to sell toys and to kind of loop it in in the comics. So what you basically see is that the MCU basically told people, like, you're going to see a lot of those things. But you're rarely going to go ahead and see a a direct adaptation on screen. Sorry, but not sorry. Because uh, there are more people who have never seen these characters or know about these stories out there buying our tickets than there are comic book fans. And we need to appeal to the most people. And hopefully, comic book fans, you won't be too upset. I think the, the point where comic book fans, the panel purists, really began to accept things the way they were in films was when um Captain America Civil War came out when Captain America Civil War came out and and I'm not I'm not saying Captain America Winter Soldier for for a specific reason but hear me out with Civil War I think this is when I really stopped hearing about it with Civil War uh Civil War was still considered a recent comic book by Mark Millar um Civil War was seven issues, and it had like a, you know, a million crossovers, but there was a lot of context from previous stories that if you go back and read Civil War, and you never really read a comic book or understood continuity and Marvel canon before that, I can see that it's probably an okay standalone, but you will be confused out of your mind. Um... It, it's just there's so much there that's loaded so that way it rewarded the diehard comic book collector and Marvel fan. But one, the MCU didn't set up half the things you needed to do a proper um, storyline for that if we were going panel for panel. So what they basically did was they took the premise of Civil War, they took some of the key scenes and key moments from Civil War, and what they had to do was they had to craft an original, an original story behind it. And for the most part, even in my humble opinion, I would say I'm happier with the story we saw on screen than if they had added more from the comic book. It's one of the few times I'll say that an adaptation is better than the actual source material. Now, you may disagree with me or not, but for the most part, that's when people just kind of stopped talking about it. And we've seen better adaptations. You would not have wanted. I'm telling you. I think Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, was awesome, but I know his origin in the comics, and you would not want to see that on screen for many reasons. Um, same, same goes for like you know Endgame. Well, let, let's say Infinity War and, and Endgame, which was basically um, Infinity Gauntlet, which we did an episode of about a year ago. If you go back, they're two very different stories, but you see the elements where they basically keep a lot of things together. Um, people, when when Robert Downey Jr. when Tony Stark died at the end of Endgame, people were sad and upset to see him go, but it made sense for the films and everything else. And for the most part, it was just a very you know lovely and, and grateful signing off of the Iron Man character. Um, but nobody was saying, well, he's never died in a comic, so you can't do that. Actually, he has died several times in the comics. But, you know, like, that that's not what mattered. What mattered was that they were putting story first. And, and that's where you got to go ahead and thank the writers. That's where you want to go ahead and thank Kevin Feige. You know, at the same time, we have to understand that just like some movies can't be adapted into comic books, some comic books just can't be adapted into movies. I mean, they had tried to make... A Spider-Man film several times in the '90s. They actually, I think, I don't know if it was official or if it was just you know a, a desired casting by the studios or by the director. But James Cameron had the had the rights owned, and he was sharing it with another company. And he was he actually wrote a a Spider-Man script. And if you go back and read that Spider-Man script, which is online, just do James Cameron Sp- James Cameron Spider-Man. Uh it's almost farther from source material than the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. I would argue that I'm glad the James Cameron Spider-Man didn't get made. I I mean it's the Sam Raimi Spider-Man is just so remarkably better. Even even the Andrew Garfield amazing Spider-Man was far truer to the source material than James Cameron Spider-Man. Now, could James Cameron have directed a good Spider-Man movie? Absolutely. Man's a phenomenal director. But one reason why they couldn't make that movie was the fact that I think it was uh, Eon Productions at the time, and then it went to Paramount. Um, Eon, let, let's assume it was them, I could be wrong, but James Cameron, Spider Man, for what they were doing and for the time that they had written, I think it was 1994, 1995, they're just like, we can't make this movie. For everything we would need to do just to do the basics, um, we don't have the, the money, we don't have the technology, and for the most part, it's because the technology didn't exist. Here, here's the thing that people don't appreciate about X-Men. They don't appreciate about Spider-Man, uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Those movies were technological marvels at the time, no, no pun intended. The stuff they were doing, like I think the, the last scene in Spider-Man where he's uh, swinging across the, the New York skyline and then you know he gets over to the American flag and stuff, entirely CGI, but you couldn't tell. I mean, maybe by a standard, you can kind of tell, but like when that, when that was done and when people saw that at the end of the movie, everyone was just like, you've got to be shitting me. That is phenomenal. That is great. So, I mean, that's another thing to remember based on technology, the times and what's available based on budget. Sometimes you got to adapt uh, and sometimes I would argue, like, you know, we, I think as fans, especially now, because we were so deprived, especially if you're older like us, like, we were so deprived of just good comic book films for a long time that we're spoiled of the great content we see online and on TV and on screen now. Um, I mean, like, you know, sometimes we should just be thankful. Like, Logan, you know, Logan shares half the elements of the old man Logan storyline from the, from the comics. I think that was another Mark Muller project. But like you know, you can't put the Hulk in a you know, film that was that was owned by Fox back when Fox was independent. You couldn't do that. So you either wait to have been absorbed, like they eventually did, or you, you get the movie you get. And what you saw was that because uh, James Mangold was dealing with the restrictions of copyright and trademark and intellectual property, he had to craft an original story based off you know probably Wolverine's best story, I would argue. And what we got was one of the best films I think I've ever seen in theaters. Uh, there were only two movies where I walked out and nobody talked. And the, and the theaters were completely full. Uh, I mean, full. Uh, it was Logan when it came out. I saw him premiere night with my brother. And it was American Sniper. Literally. Nobody, nobody said anything. Everyone was just like, that's one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. One of the best movies I've ever seen. And by the way, if you've never seen Logan in black and white, it will change your life. It really will. So, you know, I, I think I think a lot of films... Pe- people look at, like, you know, Spider-Man 3, for example, where it was just a hodgepodge mess and source material didn't matter and stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and there are other countless examples in movie and TV where they've done stuff which is even more egregious. Um, you know, th- those moments happen. But I think what we really need to consider... Is the fact that you know this is a great time to be alive, and we need to understand that you know source material matters, but not everything translates. It's kind of like you know making coffee. Yeah, you could get hundred percent quote coffee and all the caffeine if you just chew on the beans, but you are not you are going to get sick from that. You are not going to like it, and if you do, you are a freak of nature. So what do you do? You 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 grind it. You pour in a in a filter and put in a coffee maker, and you go ahead and you you make the fucking coffee because that's how you do it. And I I, I put the same equation um, for for comic books to movies. Now you know also understand that some of the some of the most accurate panel for panel adaptations on screen. Where do we find it? We find it in animation where the budgets can be lower and where you don't really have to do much. Now, Batman The Long Halloween Part 1 and 2, I won't spoil that for you, because that's so relatively recent, but um, the ending is different. How it ends is different. And uh, I would ar- I would actually argue that what they did was better, but a lot of people said it, it, it was disappointing because of how it ended. And I can't say they're wrong. I just think that's preference. I think in that case, they probably should have just gone with the original ending just to do it because when they've when they've made those adaptions, it's been uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't necessary. But then you look at like a Batman under the Red Hood, which is arguably the best Batman animated film ever made. And um, you know, I read I, I read the larger collection in graphic novel form, and I'm happy with what they did in the movie. I'm glad they took out Mr. Freeze. I'm glad that they changed up how uh, black mask looks. I like how they condense certain parts and then you know prolonged others, and you know sometimes it's just better. I think ultimately this argument of whether or not the source material really gets uh, you know adapted. I think what really bothers people is when you you gender switch or you race swap people or you make a giant cataclysmic change to an origin. Uh, that that's a whole other thing, and you know we talk about it in the Second Print Comics fan zone, which is available for all Second Print patrons. And, you know, there there are arguments to be made for and against those changes there. But, you know, I don't think anyone is upset with Tessa Thompson. You know, she's not white and blonde. Um, You know, we've talked about why Nick Fury turned into a black dude, why he's not David Hasselhoff Nick Fury. And, uh, you know, gender swapped characters. I mean, you know, I'm a big Battlestar Galactica guy. My dad freaked the hell out when he saw that Starbuck was a was a chick in the, in the new Battlestar Galactica, the, the great one, so say we all. But at, at, it got to the point where it was like, you know, it was good for the story. It was good for the times. The, the actress was great. The character was great added to the story. You know, sometimes changes are good. Sometimes changes are bad. But ultimately, I think what we ultimately need to be grateful for is the fact that we've got these great films. We've got these great stories. More people are getting into comics. And we're seeing the stuff we love get translated into the biggest form of media out there, which is television and movies, and now the lines are starting to be blurred. So that's all I've got, folks. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. I'd love to go ahead and engage with you online so you could yell at me and send me your electronic hate mail after this. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at HeyRemso, H-E-Y-R-E-M-S-O, and go ahead and also tag Second Print Pod um, to go ahead and tag the show as well. Please, if, if you... If you listen all the way through and you think I'm a swell guy, consider joining the Patreon, and if not, it costs you five seconds, a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to the show now. I'm Remzo W. Martinez. I've just got one last thing to say. Read comics. Change the world. Good night, America, and adios.